Open up your books, you bad apples. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. Lucas Nord. And I'm Cole Lang. And Cole, before we even discuss what may be personally my most anticipated episode of the podcast we've recorded up to this point, I just want to know how your day's going. Well, pretty good. I can I can see, which is nice. Ah, uh, yes. You had some of that future surgery where they, um, what was it? They chopped your eye in half and scraped all the crap out or something like that? Yeah, it was basically Cyberpunk uh, 2021, and, like, they, you know, brushed off my eye. They sc- scraped it. They put some lasers, they sent some lasers to it, and it's gonna fix my vision. Horrific. Uh, Supposedly, kind of, when I laid down on the table, I wanted to say, what am I to be, a clockwork orange? But uh, I didn't have it in me. Very good callback, but I also can't help but make a comparison between you getting your eye sutured and a little bit of suturing that's happening in the book we're covering right now, which is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. We're back for part two today. And yeah. as I said up top, I'm very excited because I, um, as I've talked about, I think in probably the original episode of the show, I've only started reading within maybe the last year and a half, but... um. I have certainly never felt the same way I have about any other book as I have this one we're covering right now. And a character. And a character? Uh, yeah, the creature. Yeah, I, you know, lots of emotions. When I uh, was going through my recovery of my eyes, my eyes were burning. I Ouch. Thought, you, you know, my eyelids were poofy. I was looking a little like uh, our friend here, the creature. Um, and you know, I was listening to the audiobook, and there's just some points where I was I was crying a little bit, maybe from the tear, maybe from the uh, drops I had to put in, maybe because this story is really emotional <laughs> when it comes to the story of Frankenstein's monster. This book, I mean. I'm going to talk about it a million times, especially when we get to the review episode, but I am also very moved by this entire story so far. Well, especially what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, for sure. Would uh, would you mind giving us a little, little recap? Part one. We're introduced to a character named Robert Walton, who is talking back and forth through snail mail with his sister and he's on an arctic expedition to try and find something once again um what may be another very interesting metaphor for the whole book is that this guy is out to discover but he just doesn't know what which as we'll see is actually another good metaphor for frankenstein himself victor himself yep to obtain the unknown yep. and like some things you might not want to. Yep. So Robert Walton's on an Arctic expedition and one morning he walks out of his cabin and finds all of his crewmates staring off the side at a gargantuan man being pulled by a dog sled, which 
as we said in the first episode, was strange for the reason that, for one, he's a giant man, and for two, they thought that they were miles and miles and miles from any actual land. So, that's weird enough. And plus, also just seeing a person out there in the first place. So this is a real triple threat here that I don't think I mentioned in the first episode. But, the very next day, interestingly enough, after Robert tells his sister that he's just so sad that he can't find an intellectual to converse with, sure enough, we're introduced to Victor Frankenstein, who himself was right behind the gargantuan man, a day's ride, and he's emaciated, he's only got one dog left in his, um, whatever, we tried to talk, or I tried to figure out what the phrase was, and I guess we'll just call it a dog sled, but yeah, I'm assuming there'd be two or four per man, but, um, Victor only had one left, and he's just beat to shit. Which makes sense, you know. Who knows how cold it is up there. 10 below? Uh, 20 below? 100 below? You know, one of those numbers. 8 below, a big callback to uh, the classic Paul Walker film. I didn't know Paul Walker was in it, but I do remember that movie. Oh, yeah. So, interestingly enough, Victor asks the captain, Robert Walton, where the ship is going before he even boards, which is... So strange, because he's facing certain death without this ship, so it's kind of funny to be like, yeah, but I mean, where exactly is it going, you know, buddy? Because uh, I kind of got places to be, but luckily (laughs) enough, he's satisfied with Robert's answer, so he comes up on the ship, and from then on, Victor holds Robert Walton captive with a... 80-page story, who knows how long it would actually take to tell, but he is just talking and talking and talking, and basically, the long and short of it is, Victor grew up, you know, with a wonderful family, happy parents, caring. Pretty well off. Yep, well off, he's he's obviously a very smart guy, but it all kind of goes to hell when his mom dies, and as you very astutely observed he locks himself away from life for months to create life perhaps because he was always fascinated with like occult and unimaginable sciences but also because like you said it's like his coping mechanism you know potentially and he grave robs which actually i don't think is mentioned in the book but where else are you going to get the parts And he creates life out of nothing but dead, rotten skin. Mm -hmm. And he's so terrified at the sight of his creation when it, you know, wakes up and goes, oh, and just smiles at him. He runs out and he comes back and his brand new creation is gone. And he's like, oh, really dodged a bullet there. (laughs) That was, uh, this is like one thing that's interesting. Uh, So, you know, the alternate title is The Modern Prometheus. Well, why is that? You know, it's because he created life, got this secret that's like a God secret. You know, it's like this thing that man should not know. But the difference between Prometheus and Victor is that uh, Prometheus, he gave his secret of fire to mankind and got punished for it. But Victor, he is living in his own hell 
because he created this monster, he just, you know, he just can't live with the consequences. So he keeps it a secret and it de- it destroys him. He can't admit to it. Interestingly enough, too, actually, not only does he create life, well, he creates the life and it's also technically like the most incredible thing that any scientist has ever done, making once again life out of absolutely nothing so he he comes back the monster's gone and he's completely tortured by his own creation even though he hasn't truly lived with the consequences yet until he's seen the creation here and there so at one point victor gets a letter from his dad saying that his young brother william was uh, murdered in cold blood and a recently returned friend of the family named Justine is executed for the crime because she'd had a picture of Carolyn Frankenstein on her which belonged to William and everyone knew that he had the picture so like I said she's executed for the crime and you know, Victor is completely certain that his own creation, you know, is to be held accountable for the evil deeds, but he can't just go telling everyone that. So our last episode ended off with him being crushed with not only the death of his brother, but the death of another innocent, that being Justine. Yeah, he uh, receives the news that, you know, his, his little brother has been killed and uh, he goes there and, you know, he sees Frankenstein or, or he sees the monster, the creature. And, and uh, so he's like at the crime scene. Victor, he could own up to it. And especially with the Justine thing, because he knows that Justine didn't do it. Her herself admits that she didn't do it. And uh, when it comes to ex- execution day, you know, even in like the courtroom like victor never really like steps up and says like it's the monster it's because he's living with this dirty little secret you know can't admit admit to it and it starts killing people therein also lies the problem though because even though as we said he's a very smart guy who's gonna believe that i created this eight foot tall being and he's uh, murderous, and he's on a rampage now. Yep. Yep, total chaos. Yep, yep. Now, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about before I dived in here? No. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm locked and loaded. On top of, like we said, just being completely shaken from this creation of life and knowing that it's out in the wild, unfacilitated, Victor obviously feels responsible for the two aforementioned deaths that we were just talking about being that of his younger brother and the family friend Justine, and attempting to lift his son's spirits, Alphonse, being his dad, proposes a trip for the remaining family. During the excursion, Victor wakes up with that classic feeling of despair in his guts and decides to go sightseeing, as we've seen him do many times before. He really likes to clear his mind by just going to look at some beautiful valleys and trees and peaks and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, classic uh, romantic theme here. Go to nature, it'll help out your soul, but Victor, you got a little... Your problems uh, are too big uh, to be cured by nature. 
Frankenstein's sublime feelings are immediately overtaken by terror when he sees none other than his own personal creation running at him headlong, faster and bigger and stronger than any man. Cursing and attempting to banish his own creation, he finds the monster is very eloquent and actually persuades him to accompany him back to a cave in which the monster can commence his tale. I got a story for you, buddy, my daddy. Daddy, let's go back to the cave so I can tell you all about my terrible adventures that I've had. This is awful. I actually have a quote from the book of Frankenstein's monster. You know, this is actually his first quote in the entire thing. As we said, he's very eloquent, and here it is. Be calm. I entreat you to hear me before you give vent to your hatred on my devoted head. Have I not suffered enough that you seek to increase my misery? Life, although it may only be an accumulation of anguish, is dear to me, and I will defend it. Remember, thou hast made me more powerful than thyself. My height is superior to thine, my joints more supple. But I will not be tempted to set myself in opposition to thee. The monster begins his story in the beginning, and we find that he's practically, literally just a hulking, rotten baby, experiencing the love and hate which can come from fire being, you know, the warmth when you get close enough, and the burn when you get too close, which is another interesting little sense of duality. Like we said with Frankenstein creating life, which is just incredible, but also being completely horrified at the same time. Yeah, there's there's a lot of duality in this. Um, yeah, with this this stuff here is like he's, you know, he feel he wants to feel warmth, but each time he reaches out, we'll see that he gets burnt. Oh my god, Cole. You seriously can't just drop this stuff on me. Because, once again, that's another really awesome observation. <laughs> well, you're making me feel so good over here. Um, th- thank you. I'm not trying to. I, I needed that because, uh, you know, calculus, it's been very hard lately. And uh, <laughs> just need to, just need you know, acknowledge acknowledgement that... Um, uh, smart. Because calculus is making me pre- feel pretty dumb lately. <laughs> <laughs> the monster also learns that he can keep the fire alive by adding wood to it, and he can make his food more palatable by cooking it with the fire. Not understanding anything right out of the gate, because he's a giant baby, leads the monster to attempt to enter a small hut which inhabits an old man, and the dude just hauls ass out of here. He's like, no, today is Monday, and uh, yeah, this is not this is not what I want to put up. This giant stitched together monster is just not how I want to start my week. He oh, meets sorry. similar results while attempting to enter a village, also, but doesn't understand why. Resolving to stay away from humans, though not understanding why, the monster is delighted when he finds a small hovel which inhabits an old man, a young lady. And a young man. And I have another quote here. Through this crevice, a small room was visible. Whitewashed and clean, but very bare of furniture. In one corner near a small fire sat an old man, leaning his head on his hands in a disconsolate attitude. The young girl was occupied in arranging the cottage, but presently she took something out of a drawer which employed her hands, and she sat down beside the old man, who, taking up an instrument, 
began to play and to produce sounds sweeter than the voice of the thrush or the nightingale. It was a lovely sight even to me, poor wretch, who had never beheld aught beautiful before. So yeah, he's peeking his eye in through this little crack and just... Once again, this is honestly something that I've thought about lately as I've been listening to different kinds of music is it's so awesome how just plucking some strings can elicit some kind of strong emotion in you, even though it's literally just a piece of wood with metal wire on it. That was another interesting thing about this was because, like, the monster, we don't really, this is the beginning of his story. He doesn't, he can't talk, he can't. He doesn't he's trying to learn about humans and how do how do babies learn? They observe, they um that that's all that, that the monster is. He is just this big baby that's made of Ugh. flesh and <laughs> stitches. Um but that's like one really interesting thing is like uh humans were one of the fewest species that can actually uh have an emotional reaction to music so uh this is just these next few chapters are just going to be humanizing the monster and um i don't know it it, it just makes you question is he really the villain or you know was he just abandoned like uh an abortion you know like from the very beginning the monster observes the family and learns the names Um, The old man being named DeLacy, the young lady being named Agatha, and the young man being named Felix, and over an extended period of time, comes to see the intricacies of the human condition like you were just talking about, being that they're happy with each other's company, but melancholic when separated. Felix being the saddest of the three. He notices that he's got that sad little glint in his eyes, specifically um compared to the other two but he just cannot understand why he also Mm. observes the beauty of each specimen and is enamored in every way being like he thinks that the fragile delicate old man is just wonderful and being you know not exactly the apex of humans but having lived a long life and still being healthy enough to make his way around and obviously the beautiful young lady and the strong young man three very different um, body styles, I would say. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they all love each other. The monster learns that part of their unhappiness is due to the fact that they live in poverty, partly due to them, partly due to him stealing supplies from them in the night. And there's another interesting thing, actually, is he's observing humans for the first time, and he doesn't understand that this, you know, cottage they live in isn't as good as it gets. He doesn't even know what a mansion is. You know what I mean? Who's to say if he remembers? <laughs> who's to say if he remembers um, Frankenstein's personal apartment or what he saw on the way out and all that kind of stuff? But, you know, the poverty clearly isn't something he thinks of right away because he just can't really comprehend it. But through time, he does learn it. Yeah, something that it reminds me of is uh, the family and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, they're poor, they're huddled together in this little hut, uh, but they they love each other, and they just, uh, it's just a happy little family. And it's funny because 
at the same time he is uh stealing their food yeah he is <laughs> and he's like huh i wonder why they're starving all the time and uh, he's but, probably taking he's probably taking weird. like their entire food stock because he's as we said so much bigger so i assume that he probably needs more sustenance than, than the average man sustenance yep the monster learns the family's daily routine with another quote of his being the old man leaning on his son walked each day at noon when it did not rain as i found it was called when the heavens poured forth its water this frequently took place, but a high wind quickly dried the earth, and the season became far more pleasant than it had been. I just, I literally heard a record scratch in my head when I read that out. When heaven poured forth its waters. I just thought that that was pretty awesome. Thank you, God. The monster attempts <laughs> to try to lift the family's burden by actually, instead of taking from them, he gathers wood himself and leaves it for them in the night, which astonishes them. And there's another small thing that's so awesome. They think that there's this godly light shining down, but they don't see who's gathering the wood and bringing it to them. They just know that it's showing up. And we're going to see, unfortunately, yeah. that they aren't going to be so happy when they know who's bringing them things. Well, and if this was me, I'd be a little creeped out. I'd be like, all right, you know, how did this would get at my doorstep and who's chopping down my tree? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't want my tree. This hundred foot tree uh, was completely intact last night and now it's chopped up into a thousand pieces and I'm not complaining, but it would have taken a giant to chop that tree down and I don't think Paul Bunyan's been around lately. <laughs> the monster eventually observes the family's use of language and learns to speak over time also witnessing his own terrible form and uh his reflection in the water realizing that he's not only different from humans but is also considered an abomination and continues to isolate himself when he's not observing his new friends winter thaws into spring yeah. and the monster realizes that he's been alive for an entire year which is super interesting, too. Just with the seasons changing, it was cold when I was brought to life, and then it got nice and warm again, and now it's super cold. So apparently the Earth has made its entire rotation, even though I don't know what the Earth is, and I also don't know the meaning of the word rotation. <laughs> yeah. The Earth, uh, it's flat. <laughs> do, you think that, do you think that the monster is a flat Earther? Um... You know, no, no. I think the creature is very smart. And, I mean, flat the flat earth theory is uh, actually a little anti-Semitic. If, uh, if you watch All Gas, No Breaks on YouTube, he goes to a flat earth convention, and they're convinced it's all a, a Jewish conspiracy. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Unfortunately, oftentimes with big conspiracies like that, the when you trace the cord back to the wall, that's what... A lot of people blame everything on. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it didn't start with Hitler. It was uh, it, it's been around oh, yeah. forever. Um, but but yeah, it's actually really interesting. With um, y you know, this is a romantic piece of literature, a gothic piece of literature, and uh, 
you know, another thing that comes into nature is also seasons. So when it's winter, he has all these cold thoughts. But once it turns into spring, he gets a little, you know, jazzed up and might feel a little bit more confident to maybe approach these people. So we'll see. Oh, I don't mean to keep sticking a pen in it, but man, that's just awesome, too, because I've been thinking about that lately, being that it's frigid out right now. I just... It's been particularly warm over the last couple of days, and man, just cracking the windows and letting that fresh air in really does put a pep in your step. Yeah, because, I mean, this is still in Switzerland. Well, it's definitely in that area, Germany or Switzerland, I believe. And Germany, let me tell you, it is not this, you know, beautiful place that's like all, all new Schwanstein Castle uh it's you know during the winter it just it's just rainy and cloudy all really all winter and it's uh kind of depressing but the spring summer and fall is gorgeous but the winter is cold and rainy huh. so yeah it's depressing a new character enters the fray when the monster observes a beautiful dark-haired woman arriving to the hut on horseback which immediately lifts felix's spirits he can literally see any trace of sadness vanish from his eyes when he, or when she enters the room. Isn't that kind of funny too? I love that he's been watching this family and learning the intricacies of human life through doing so. But there's just a crack in the wall and he's hanging out outside it for hours a day apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's, uh, he's like, huh. Uh, a lady would be nice. <laughs> Victor! We come Victor. to know this new presence is Safi, and seeing the happiness Safi brings with her and observing Felix and observing Felix teaching her to read the common tongue since she since she can't read or speak it, the monster learns more about humanity, therefore learning more about himself, and feels anguish at his own twisted form of isolation. More duality. There is beauty in these two people who speak separate languages, but the guy is teaching the other person to read it, and they're just having a good time, and they're learning more about each other through doing this, but it just shuts him out more and more. Yeah. The monster learns the origin of the group through eavesdropping, and learns that the three original inhabitants were at one point of a noble and lavish lifestyle before a fall from grace landed them in their current, you know situation being that they're living in this little cottage which once again they've got each other which is wonderful but um it was quite a fall from grace yeah while foraging one day the monster finds a leather bag containing books teaching him new parts of the human experience and every one of them leaves a profound effect on him oh yeah yep one of them being paradise lost uh and basically paradise lost is about it explores the fall of Satan, like a fallen angel. He used to be in heaven, and uh, he obviously becomes the king of hell, you know, the hellraiser. Ooh, another callback. <laughs> yeah, yeah a little, you gotta do it for the fans. Um, <laughs> um, but it also explores, like, uh, Adam and Eve and their temptations with Satan. But it's... I, I believe it's just kind of like a fan fiction of uh, those those stories. Um, but what 
the monster actually says about this is after he reads this book he says quote remember that i am thy monster i ought to be thy adam but i am rather the fallen angel whom thou drivest from joy for no misdeed yep so he he wants to be this adam the founder of this new race of people um but he can't help from seeing himself as Satan, you know, this hellish creature that everyone is scared of. But um, yeah, so he's common, you know, he in, in the book, he's often referred to as like the creature, the monster. But um, he, he is also referred to as Adam sometimes, which is pretty interesting. Interestingly enough, too, like you were saying there, he is a big, soft-spoken monster, unfortunately, but he never even had a chance, and he was literally, you know, almost put on Earth to live a tortured existence. And like he says up top, life is nothing but anguish to him, but he still cherishes it. Yeah, like he sees the beauty in it, he just wishes he could experience it. Like a human. He also uses his newfound ability to read a journal found in the pocket of some of the clothing he'd taken on the night of his creation. This being Frankenstein's journal, horrifically detailing the four months of work leading up to the creation of the abomination in wretched detail. Just horrific. He's got no idea where he came from and he gets a look at his reflection and doesn't understand what he is. He terrifies every single person that lays eyes on him and then to add insult to injury he reads this whole journal full of frankenstein's madman writings of talking about finding the (laughs) perfect head for this guy and you know i just just went and dug it up out of the graveyard across the street you know and oh this thing is really stinky by the way (laughs) (laughs) it would probably be like you know the monster he's probably thinking oh you know i heard about the birds and the bees yesterday from the the boys and the girls talking about in in this little little hut uh but then he finds out that this is the equivalent of uh, a nazi scientist like you know all these terrible terrible notes that victor went through because you know he, he he basically took a heath ledger approach where he locked himself in a hotel room and went pretty, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit overboard with the, the, the with the with the whole finding the secret to life uh well you know i've said it before and i'll say it again but i don't think anyone will ever do better than frankenstein's joker deciding to attempt a relationship with the cottagers the monster waits for a day where all but DeLacy are away, him being blind, to try and win the old man over without having to reveal to him his horrible visage. Um, I thought this was such an awesome plan, too, because sometimes a story will beat you over the head with the idea where this character has a special pocket watch and he doesn't know why it's special and he's always talking about this watch and you know it's going to come into play, but... The fact that there is just this old blind man living living with his family doesn't particularly stand out. But it's up to this point when we find out that he, like we just said, decides to wait until he can speak to the man without having to, you know, give him his form. The big day finally arrives and the monster enters the cottage 
and begins a conversation with the old man. The conversation vaguely detailing his situation to the blind man who will find is very sympathetic. He basically tells him, there's this family I've been stalking for a couple of months, and I really want to talk to the family, and they all live very close to here, (laughs) and I just really want some friends, buddy. And the old man's like... You know, that's a really weird situation, but I'm going to hear you out. Yeah, like, he he does pay attention. You know, he, he is, uh, he's accepting, obviously, because yep. he's blind. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine Frankenstein's just like, maybe, well, the monster, he probably says, like, lets out a bit too much details and says... I've been collecting firewood for them for months, and they just don't notice me. And uh, I stole food at first, but, you know, I'm a changed man. But uh, in the... So I've been watching the original movies, the 1930s movies. First one doesn't really make Frankenstein that much of a sympathetic character. No emotions, just, you know... What you know about Frankenstein. And, uh, but in the second one, they actually recreate this scene and it's very sweet. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very I nice. definitely plan on watching a few of these movies before we get to our discussion episode in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. yeah the plan fun. is abruptly halted when the three other inhabitants enter the cottage in horror while the monster tries to beg the old man to protect him. This is particularly heart wrenching. The three enter. They're clearly terrified. Um, The monster is having his first intellectual contact with a human, and it's going very well. But, like we said, it's just completely halted, and he wraps his arms around this old man's legs and just begs and begs him. He says, pretty much, now's the time. You're the family I'm talking about, and I am begging you to protect me, pretty much. Like I said... Yeah, just like, just like accept me, like tell them to hear me out and just maybe we can have a few brewskis, you know, maybe, maybe a half of Isaac or two. Agatha faints, Safi flees in terror, and Felix beats at the monster with the club until he himself flees, and he particularly actually notes that the pain of being beat with this cudgel isn't nearly as awful as the fact that like you said he reached his hand into the fire and the warmth felt so nice until he just got burnt yeah and it's it sucks because it's it's just like when you build up the confidence to uh go up to your crush and you just get rejected but but this would be 10 times worse because you know you don't have a mom or dad to go cry home to you know this is him really putting his heart out there it gets crushed and the consequences uh they're just they're not also kind of interesting i thought was he's getting the crap beat out of him and he thinks of how awful this whole situation is for him but he also mentions that since he's so much larger and stronger, he knows that he can literally rip this dude's arms right off his body, no problem. But he doesn't do it. Yeah, I I think he actually mentions that too. Yeah. The monster flees in terror and in the wake of his rejection sets out with a heart full of revenge to take out on all of humanity and particularly sets out for Geneva 
um, Frankenstein's home, learning of the location through the journal. Seeing a young girl slip into a stream on his way there, he jumps in and saves her, only to be shot by a man who we can assume is the child's father or just a caretaker in general. He takes a bullet in the shoulder, which, once again, he just saved this girl's life. She would have washed down the river never to be seen again. Well, yeah, and, and it shows a lot, too, because he's he's just like, I'm going to swear revenge on humanity. And then he sees, you know, a human and she's drowning and he's like oh, i still got this you know heart in me and I, humanity as well and i'm gonna save her and once again it just literally backfires on him and yeah he's he's done the monster decides his only companionship can come in the form of a young child as their ignorance of youth will shield him from their horrible judgment and he abducts a young boy and tells him he'll never see his father again. And the child retorts, telling him that he's none other than the son of Alphonse Frankenstein. And pretty much, if you think you're going to get away with this, think again, buddy. And being sent into a fit of rage, the monster tells the child that he's going to suffer for the sins of his brother. Being that this is obviously... The monster strangles the child to death. And the monster also takes the aforementioned photo from the child and finds Justine sleeping in a barn, not, you know, knowing who's who, and he actually plants the photo on her to particularly frame her, which is such a change of pace for him. But like you just said, he's been heartbroken one too many times. Yep, and I mean, this is a pretty smart move. Not gonna lie, this is, uh, he knew, he watched a few episodes of Getting Away with Murder, uh, Murder, uh, Mysteries, Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, maybe, um, but yeah, Justine is the girl that, uh, got accused of the murder and was executed, so he, he, uh, planted the evidence, he reversed, pickpocketed. After completing his tale, the monster tells Frankenstein that the only way he can fix the wretched existence forced upon himself is for Frankenstein to create another being tailored the same exact way for companionship. And after a little bit of convincing, Frankenstein agrees to the dastardly deed. And that is where we will pick back up next week with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein Part 3. Yay! Uh, the the creature's gonna get a uh, creature wife, the bride of Frankenstein. Oh, who could forget it? Thank you, Victor. This is gonna go wonderfully. You know who? You know this. This is gonna go well for both parties. I think you know there's not gonna be a, a hate relationship after this. A love hate relationship. It's just gonna be nothing. Nothing but uh, sunshine here soon yeah i think there's this is one of the most you know important parts of the book i think because you it's like who's the villain i think it's victor 10 times out of 10 but you yeah you know if you if you're gonna have a kid you're gonna have to care for it uh no questions asked um and instead with frank with victor he creates the monster he leaves it to be and well the way that 
he's been treated by humanity and everybody. He's just an abandoned creation, really. And so all these things, um, just imagine if... The the way I see, like, uh, the origins of serial killers, I see the same way as, like, Frankenstein. Or the monster. And the monster, you know, is doing terrible acts, right? He's killing... William, he planted the evidence on Justine, which causes her death. And it's obviously linked to this hatred of Victor. Uh, But we see that with, like, serial killers. um, You know, like, they were treated badly as children by their parents. 